The Autobiography of Goethe, Volume 1, by Johann von Goethe, translated by John Oxenford, Section 21. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Autobiography of Goethe, Volume 1, by Johann von Goethe, translated by John Oxenford, Section 21. Sixth Book, Part 3 Michaelmas, the time fixed for my going to the university, was approaching, and my mind was excited quite as much about my life as about my learning. I grew more and more clearly conscious of an aversion to my native city. By Gretchen's removal the heart had been broken out of the boyish and youthful plant. It needed time to bud forth again from its sides, and surmount the first injury by a new growth. My ramblings through the streets had ceased. I now, like others, only went such ways as were necessary. I never went again into Gretchen's quarter of the city, not even into its vicinity, and as my old walls and towers became gradually disagreeable to me, so also was I displeased at the constitution of the city. All that had hitherto seemed so worthy of honour now appeared to me in distorted shapes. As grandson of the Schultheis, I had not remained unacquainted with the secret defects of such a republic, the less so as children feel quite a peculiar surprise and are excited to busy researches as soon as something which they have hitherto implicitly revered becomes in any degree suspicious to them. The fruitless indignation of upright men in opposition to those who are to be gained and even bribed by factions had become but too plain to me. I hated every injustice beyond measure, for children are all moral rigorists. My father, who was concerned in the affairs of the city only as a private citizen, expressed himself with very lively indignation about much that had failed. And did I not see him, after so many studies, endeavours, pains, travels, and so much varied cultivation, between his four walls leading a solitary life, such as I could never desire for myself? All this, put together, lay as a horrible load on my mind, from which I could only free myself by trying to contrive a plan of life altogether different from that which had been marked out for me. In thought, I threw aside my legal studies and devoted myself solely to the languages, to antiquities, to history, and to all that flows from them. Indeed, at all times, the poetic imitation of what I had perceived in myself, in others, and in nature, afforded me the greatest pleasure. I did it with ever-increasing facility, because it came by instinct, and no criticism had led me astray. And if I did not feel full confidence in my productions, I could certainly regard them as defective, but not such as to be utterly rejected although here and there they were censured, I still retained my silent conviction that I could not but gradually improve, and that sometime I might be honourably named along with Hagedorn, Gellert, and other such men. But such a distinction alone seemed to me too empty and inadequate. I wished to devote myself professionally and with zeal to those aforesaid fundamental studies, and whilst I meant to advance more rapidly in my own works by a more thorough insight into antiquity, to qualify myself for a university professorship, which seemed to me the most desirable thing for a young man who strove for culture and intended to contribute to that of others. With these intentions I always had my eye upon Göttingen, my whole confidence rested upon men like Heine, Michaelis, and so many others. My most ardent wish was to sit at their feet, 
and attend to their instructions. But my father remained inflexible. Howsoever, some family friends who were of my opinion tried to influence him, he persisted that I must go to Leipzig. I was now resolved, contrary to his views and wishes, to choose a line of studies and of life for myself, by way of self-defence. The obstinacy of my father, who, without knowing it, opposed himself to my plans, strengthened me in my impiety, so that I made no scruple to listen to him by the hour while he described and repeated to me the course of study and of life which I should pursue at the universities and in the world. All hopes of Göttingen being cut off, I now turned my eyes towards Leipzig. There Ernesti appeared to me as a brilliant light. Morris, too, already awakened much confidence. I planned for myself in secret an opposition course, or rather I built a castle in the air on a tolerably solid foundation, and it seemed to me quite romantically honourable to mark out my own path of life, which appeared the less visionary as Griesbach had already made great progress in a similar way, and was commended for it by everyone. The secret joy of a prisoner when he has unbound the fetters and rapidly filed through the bars of his jail window cannot be greater than was mine as i saw day after day disappear and october draw nigh the inclement season and the bad roads of which everybody had something to tell did not frighten me the thought of making good my footing in a strange place and in winter did not make me sad. Suffice it to say that I only saw my present situation was gloomy and represented to myself the other unknown world as light and cheerful. Thus I formed my dreams, to which I gave myself up exclusively, and promised myself nothing but happiness and content in the distance. Closely as I kept these projects a secret from every one else, I could not hide them from my sister, who, after being very much alarmed about them at first, was finally consoled when I promised to send after her, so that she could enjoy with me the brilliant station I was to obtain, and share my comfort with me. Michaelmas, so longingly expected, came at last when I set out with delight in company with the bookseller Fleischer and his wife, whose maiden name was Trilla, and who was going to visit her father in Wittenberg. And I left behind me the worthy city in which I had been born and bred with indifference, as if I wished never to set foot in it again. Thus, at certain epochs, children part from parents, servants from masters, protégés from their patrons, and whether it succeed or not, such an attempt to stand on one's own feet, to make oneself independent, to live for oneself, is always in accordance with the will of nature. We had driven out through the Allerheiligen, All Saints, gate, and had soon left Hanau behind us, after which we reached scenes which aroused my attention by their novelty, if at this season of the year they offered little that was pleasing. A continual rain had completely spoiled the roads, which, generally speaking, were not then in such good order as we find them now, and our journey was thus neither pleasant nor happy. Yet I was indebted to this damp weather for the sight of a natural phenomenon which must be exceedingly rare for i have seen nothing like it since nor have i heard of its having been observed by others it was this namely we were driving at night up a rising ground between hanau and gelhausen and although it was dark we preferred walking to exposing ourselves to the danger and difficulty of that part of the road all at once 
in a ravine on the right-hand side of the way, I saw a sort of amphitheatre, wonderfully illuminated. In a funnel-shaped space there were innumerable little lights gleaming, ranged step-fashion over one another, and they shone so brilliantly that the eye was dazzled. But what still more confused the sight was that they did not keep still, but jumped about here and there as well downwards from above as vice versa, and in every direction. The greater part of them, however, remained stationary and beamed on. It was only with the greatest reluctance that I suffered myself to be called away from this spectacle, which I could have wished to examine more closely. The postillion, when questioned, said that he knew nothing about such a phenomenon, but that there was in the neighbourhood an old stone quarry, the excavation of which was filled with water. Now, whether this was a pandemonium of will-o'-the-wisps, or a company of luminous creatures, I will not decide. The roads through Thuringia were yet worse, and unfortunately at nightfall our coach stuck fast in the vicinity of Auerstedt. We were far removed from all mankind, and did everything possible to work ourselves out. I failed not to exert myself zealously, and might thereby have overstrained the ligaments of my chest, for soon afterwards I felt a pain which went off and returned, and did not leave me entirely until after many years. Yet on that same night, as if it had been destined for alternate good and bad luck, I was forced, after an unexpectedly fortunate incident, to experience a teasing vexation. We met, in our state, a genteel married couple who had also just arrived, having been delayed by a similar accident. A pleasing, dignified man in his best years, with a very handsome wife. They politely persuaded us to sup in their company, and I felt very happy when the excellent lady addressed a friendly word to me. But when I was sent out to hasten the soup which had been ordered, not having been accustomed to the loss of rest and the fatigues of travelling, such an unconquerable drowsiness overtook me that I actually fell asleep while walking, returned into the room with my hat on my head, and without remarking that the others were saying grace, placed myself with quiet unconsciousness behind the chair, and never dreamed that by my conduct I had come to disturb their devotions in a very droll way. Madame Fleischer, who lacked neither spirit nor wit nor tongue, entreated the strangers, before they had seated themselves, not to be surprised at anything they might see here, for that their young fellow-traveller had in his nature much of the peculiarity of the Quakers, who believe that they cannot honour God and the King better than with covered heads. The handsome lady, who could not restrain her laughter, looked prettier than ever in consequence, and I would have given everything in the world not to have been the cause of a merriment which was so highly becoming to her countenance. I had, however, scarcely laid aside my hat, when these persons, in accordance with their polished manners, immediately dropped the joke, and with the best wine from their bottle-case, completely extinguished sleep, chagrin, and the memory of all past troubles. I arrived in Leipzig just at the time of the fair, from which I derived particular pleasure for here I saw before me the continuation of a state of things belonging to my native city, familiar wares and traders, only in other places and in a different order. I rambled about the market and the booths with much interest, but my attention was particularly attracted by the inhabitants of the eastern countries in their strange dresses, the Poles and Russians, and above all the Greeks for the sake of whose handsome forms and dignified costume I often went to the spot.
but this animating bustle was soon over and now the city itself appeared before me with its handsome high and uniform houses it made a very good impression upon me and it cannot be denied that in general but especially in the silent moments of sundays and holidays it has something imposing and when in the moonlight the streets were half in shadow half illuminated they often invited me to nocturnal promenades illustration woman with birds in the meantime as compared with that to which i had hitherto been accustomed this new state of affairs was by no means satisfactory leipzig calls up before the spectator no antique time it is a new recently elapsed epoch testifying commercial activity comfort and wealth which announces itself to us in these monuments yet quite to my taste were the houses which to me seemed immense and which fronting two streets and embracing a citizen world within their large courtyards built round with lofty walls are like large castles nay even half cities in one of these strange places i courted myself namely in the bombshell tavern feuerkugel between the old and the new newmarket neumarkt a couple of pleasant rooms looking out upon a courtyard which on account of the thoroughfare was not without animation were occupied by the bookseller fleischer during the fair and by me taken for the rest of the time at a moderate price as a fellow lodger i found a theological student who was deeply learned in his professional studies a sound thinker but poor and suffering much from his eyes which caused him great anxiety for the future he had brought this affliction upon himself by his inordinate reading till the latest dusk of the evening and even by moonlight to save a little oil our old hostess showed herself benevolent to him always friendly to me and careful for us both i now hastened with my letters of introduction to hofrat Böhme, who once a pupil of moscow and now his successor was professor of history and public law a little thick-set lively man received me kindly enough and introduced me to his wife both of them as well as other persons whom i waited on gave me the pleasantest hopes as to my future residence but at first i let no one know of the design i entertained although i could scarcely wait for the favourable moment when i should declare myself free from jurisprudence and devoted to the study of the classics i cautiously waited till the fleischers had returned that my purpose might not be too prematurely betrayed to my family but i then went without delay to hofrat Böhme, to whom before all i thought i must confide the matter and with much self-importance and boldness of speech disclosed my views to him however i found by no means a good reception of my proposition as professor of history and public law he had a declared hatred for everything that savoured of the belle lettre unfortunately he did not stand on the best footing with those who cultivated them and gellert in particular in whom i had awkwardly enough expressed much confidence he could not even endure to send a faithful student to those men therefore while he deprived himself of one and especially under such circumstances seemed to him altogether out of the question he therefore gave me a severe lecture on the spot in which he protested that he could not permit such a step without the permission of my parents even if he approved of it himself which was not the case in this instance he then passionately inveighed against philology and the study of languages but still more against poetical exercises which i had indeed allowed to peep out in the background 
he finally concluded that if i wished to enter more closely into the study of the ancients it could be done much better by way of jurisprudence he brought to my recollection many elegant jurists such as eberhard otto and heineckius promised me mountains of gold from roman antiquities and the history of law and showed me clear as the sun that i should here be taking no roundabout way even if afterwards on more mature deliberation and with the consent of my parents i should determine to follow out my own plan he begged me in a friendly manner to think the matter over once more and to open my mind to him soon as it would be necessary to come to a determination at once on account of the impending commencement of the lectures it was however very polite of him not to press me on the spot his arguments and the weight with which he advanced them had already convinced my pliant youth and i now first saw the difficulties and doubtfulness of a matter which i had privately pictured to myself as so feasible frau hofrat Bermer invited me shortly afterwards i found her alone she was no longer young and had very delicate health was gentle and tender to an infinite degree and formed a decided contrast to her husband whose good nature was even blustering she spoke of the conversation her husband had lately had with me and once more placed the subject before me in all its bearings in so cordial a manner so affectionately and sensibly that i could not help yielding the few reservations on which i insisted were also agreed upon by the other side thereupon her husband regulated my hours for i was to hear lectures on philosophy the history of law the institutes and some other matters i was content with this but i carried my point so as to attend gellert's history of literature with stockhausen for a textbook and his practicum besides the reverence and love with which gellert was regarded by all young people was extraordinary i had already called on him and had been kindly received by him not of tall stature elegant without being lean soft and rather pensive eyes a very fine forehead a nose aquiline but not too much so a delicate mouth a face of an agreeable oval all made his presence pleasing and desirable it cost some trouble to reach him his two family appeared like priests who guard a sanctuary the access to which is not permitted to everybody nor at every time and such a precaution was very necessary for he would have sacrificed his whole time had he been willing to receive and satisfy all those who wished to become intimate with him at first i attended my lectures assiduously and faithfully but the philosophy would not enlighten me at all in the logic it seemed strange to me that i had so to tear asunder isolate and as it were destroy those operations of the mind which i had performed with the greatest ease from my youth upwards and this in order to see into the right use of them of the thing itself of the world and of god i thought i knew about as much as the professor himself and in more places than one the affair seemed to me to come into a tremendous strait it all went on in tolerable order till towards shrovetide when in the neighbourhood of professor winkler's house on the thomas place the most delicious fritters came hot out of the pan just at the hour of lecture and these delayed us so long that our notebooks became disordered and the conclusion of them towards spring melted away together with the snow and was lost the law lectures very soon fared not any better for i already knew just as much as the professor thought good to communicate to us my stubborn industry in writing down the lectures at first was paralysed by degrees 
for i found it excessively tedious to pen down once more that which partly by question partly by answer i had repeated with my father often enough to retain it forever in my memory the harm which is done when young people at school are advanced too far in many things was afterwards manifested still more when time and attention were diverted from exercises in the languages and a foundation in what are properly speaking preparatory studies in order to be applied to what are called realities which dissipate more than they cultivate if they are not methodically and thoroughly taught i here mention by the way another evil by which students are much embarrassed professors as well as other men in office cannot all be of the same age but when the younger ones teach in fact only that they may learn and moreover if they have talent anticipate their age they acquire their own cultivation altogether at the cost of their hearers since these are not instructed in what they really need but in that which the professor finds it necessary to elaborate for himself among the oldest professors on the contrary many are for a long time stationary they deliver on the whole only fixed views and in the details much that time has already condemned as useless and false between the two arises a sad conflict in which young minds are dragged hither and thither and which can scarcely be set right by the middle-aged professors who though possessed of sufficient learning and culture always feel within themselves an active desire for knowledge and reflection now as in this way i learned to know much more than i could digest whereby a constantly increasing uncomfortableness was forced upon me so also from life i experienced many disagreeable trifles as indeed one must always pay one's footing when one changes one's place and comes into a new position the first thing the ladies blamed me for was my dress for i had come from home to the university rather oddly equipped my father who detested nothing so much as when something happened in vain when any one did not know how to make use of his time or found no opportunity for turning it to account carried his economy of time and ability so far that nothing gave him greater pleasure than to kill two birds with one stone footnote literally to strike two flies with one flapper translator he had therefore never engaged a servant who could not be useful to the house in something else now as he had always written everything with his own hand and had latterly the convenience of dictating to the young inmate of the house he found it most advantageous to have tailors for his domestics who were obliged to make good use of their time as they not only had to make their own liveries but the clothes for my father and the children besides doing all the mending my father himself took pains to have the best materials and the best kinds of cloth by getting fine wares of the foreign merchants at the fair and laying them up in store i still remember well that he always visited the herr von Löwenicht of aix-la-chapelle and from my earliest youth made me acquainted with these and other eminent merchants care was also taken for the fitness of the stuff and there was a plentiful stock of different kinds of cloth serge and getting stuff besides the requisite lining so that as far as the materials were concerned we might well venture to be seen but the form spoiled almost everything for if one of our home tailors was anything of a clever hand at sewing and making up a coat which had been cut out for him in masterly fashion he was now obliged also to cut out the dress for himself 
which did not always succeed to perfection in addition to this my father kept whatever belonged to his clothing in very good and neat order and preserved more than used it for many years thus he had a predilection for certain old cuts and trimmings by which our dress sometimes acquired a strange appearance in this same way had the wardrobe which i took with me to the university been furnished it was very complete and handsome and there was even a laced suit among the rest already accustomed to this kind of attire i thought myself sufficiently well dressed but it was not long before my female friends first by gentle raillery then by sensible remonstrances convinced me that i looked as if i had dropped down out of another world much as i felt vexed at this I did not see at first how I was to mend matters. But when Herr von Masuren, the favourite poetical country squire, once entered the theatre in a similar costume and was heartily laughed at, more by reason of his external than his internal absurdity, I took courage and ventured at once to exchange my whole wardrobe for a new-fashioned one, suited to the place, by which, however, it shrunk considerably when this trial was surmounted a new one was to come up which proved to be far more unpleasant because it concerned a matter which one does not so easily put off in exchange i had been born and bred in the upper german dialect and although my father always laboured to preserve a certain purity of language and from our youth upwards had made us children attentive to what may be really called the defects of that idiom and so prepared us for a better manner of speaking i retained nevertheless many deeper-seated peculiarities which because they pleased me by their naivety i was fond of making conspicuous and thus every time i used them incurred a severe reproof from my new fellow-townsmen the upper german and perhaps chiefly he who lives by the rhine and mine for great rivers like the sea-coast always have something animating about them expresses himself much in similes and allusions and makes use of proverbial sayings with a native common-sense aptness in both cases he is often blunt but when one sees the drift of the expression it is always appropriate only something to be sure may often slip in which proves offensive to a more delicate ear every province loves its own dialect for it is properly speaking the element in which the soul draws its breath but every one knows with what obstinacy the misian dialect has contrived to domineer over the rest and even for a long time to exclude them we have suffered for many years under this pedantic tyranny and only by reiterated struggles have all the provinces again established themselves in their ancient rights what a lively young man had to endure from this continual tutoring may be easily inferred by any one who reflects that modes of thought imagination feeling native character must be sacrificed with the pronunciation which one at last consents to alter and this intolerable demand was made by men and women of education whose convictions i could not adopt whose injustice i thought i felt though i was unable to make it plain to myself allusions to the pithy biblical texts were to be forbidden me as well as the use of the honest-hearted expressions from the chronicles i had to forget that i had read the kaiser von geisersberg and eschew the use of proverbs which nevertheless instead of much fiddle-faddle just hit the nail upon the head all this which i had appropriated to myself with youthful ardour i was now to do without i felt paralysed to the core 
and scarcely knew any more how I had to express myself on the commonest things. I was, moreover, told that one should speak as one writes, and write as one speaks, while to me speaking and writing seemed once for all two different things, each of which might well maintain its own rights, and even in the Misnian dialect had I to hear many things which would have made no great figure on paper. Everyone who perceives in this the influence which men and women of education, the learned, and other persons who take pleasure in refined society, so decidedly exercise over a young student, would be immediately convinced that we were in Leipzig, even if it had not been mentioned. Each one of the German universities has a particular character, for as no universal cultivation can pervade our fatherland, every place adheres to its own fashion, and carries out, even to the last, its own characteristic peculiarities. Exactly the same thing holds good of the universities. In Jena and Halle, roughness has been carried to the highest pitch, bodily strength, skill in fighting, the wildest self-help was there the order of the day, and such a state of affairs can only be maintained and propagated by the most universal riot. The relations of the students to the inhabitants of those cities, various as they might be, nevertheless agreed in this, that the wild stranger had no regard for the citizen and looked upon himself as a peculiar being privileged to all sorts of freedom and insolence. In Leipzig, on the contrary, a student could scarcely be anything else than polite, as soon as he wished to stand on any footing at all with the rich, well-bred and punctilious inhabitants. All politeness, indeed, when it does not present itself as the flowering of a great and comprehensive mode of life, must appear restrained, stationary, and from some points of view perhaps absurd. And so those wild huntsmen from the Zala, footnote, the river on which Halle is built, translator, thought they had a great superiority over the tame shepherds of the Pleiser, footnote, the river near Leipzig, translator, Zacharias Renomist will always be a valuable document from which the manner of life and thought at that time rises visibly forth, as in general his poems must be welcome to everyone who wishes to form for himself a conception of the then prevailing state of social life and manners, which was indeed feeble but amiable on account of its innocence and childlike simplicity. All manners which result from the given relations of a common existence are indestructible, and in my time many things still reminded us of Zachariah's epic poem. Only one of our fellow academicians thought himself rich and independent enough to snap his fingers at public opinion. He drank acquaintance with all the hackney coachmen, whom he allowed to sit inside the coach as if they were gentlemen while he drove them on the box, thought it a great joke to upset them now and then, and contrived to satisfy them for their smashed vehicles as well as for their occasional bruises, but otherwise he did no harm to any one, seeming only to make a mock of the public en masse. Once, on a most beautiful promenade day, he and a comrade of his seized upon the donkeys of the miller in St. Thomas's Square. Well-dressed, and in their shoes and stockings, they rode around the city with the greatest solemnity, stared at by all the promenaders, with whom the glacis was swarming. When some sensible persons remonstrated with him on the subject, he assured them, quite unembarrassed, that he only wanted to see how the Lord Christ might have looked in a like case. Yet he found no imitators and few companions. For the student of any wealth and standing had every reason to show himself attentive to the mercantile class, 
and to be the more solicitous about the proper external forms as the colony footnote, leipzig was so called because a large and influential portion of its citizens was sprung from a colony of huguenots who settled there after the revocation of the edict of nantes american note exhibited a model of french manners the professors opulent both from their private property and from their liberal salaries were not dependent upon their scholars and many subjects of the state educated at the government schools or other gymnasia and hoping for preferment did not venture to throw off the traditional customs the neighbourhood of dresden the attention thence paid to us and the true piety of the superintendent of the course of study could not be without a moral nay a religious influence at first this kind of life was not repugnant to me my letters of introduction had given me the entree into good families whose circle of relatives also received me well but as i was soon forced to feel that the company had much to find fault with in me and that after dressing myself in their fashion i must now talk according to their tongue also and as moreover i could plainly see that i was on the other hand but little benefited by the instruction and mental improvement i had promised myself from my academical residence i began to be lazy and to neglect the social duties of visiting and other attentions and indeed i should have sooner withdrawn from all such connections had not fear and esteem attached me firmly to Hotrat Böhme, and confidence and affection to his wife. The husband, unfortunately, had not the happy gift of dealing with young people, of winning their confidence, and of guiding them for the moment as occasion might require. When I visited him I never got any good by it. His wife, on the contrary, showed a genuine interest in me. Her real health kept her constantly at home. She often invited me to spend the evening with her, and knew how to direct and improve me in many little external particulars. For my manners were good, indeed, but I was not yet master of what is properly termed etiquette. Only one friend spent the evenings with her, but she was much more dictatorial and pedantic for which reason she displeased me excessively and out of spite to her i often resumed those unmannerly habits from which the other had already weaned me nevertheless she always had patience enough for me and taught me piquet ombre and similar games the knowledge and practice of which is held indispensable in society but it was in the matter of taste that madame Burma had the greatest influence upon me in a negative way truly yet one in which she agreed perfectly with the critics the gottsched waters footnote that is to say the influence of gottsched on german literature of which more is said in the next book translator had inundated the german world with a true deluge which threatened to rise up even over the highest mountains it takes a long time for such a flood to subside again for the mire to dry away and as in any epoch there are numberless aping poets so the imitation of the flat and watery produced a chaos of which now scarcely a notion remains to find out that trash was trash was hence the greatest sport yea the triumph of the critic of those days whoever had only a little common sense was superficially acquainted with the ancients and was somewhat more familiar with the moderns thought himself provided with a standard scale which he could apply everywhere madame Burma was an educated woman who opposed the trivial weak and commonplace she was besides the wife of a man who lived on bad terms with poetry in general and would not even allow that of which she perhaps might have somewhat approved 
she listened indeed for some time with patience when i ventured to recite to her the verse or prose of famous poets who already stood in good repute for then as always i knew by heart everything that chanced in any degree to please me but her complacence was not of long duration the first whom she outrageously abused were the poets of the weisser school who were just then often quoted with great applause and had delighted me very particularly if i looked more closely into the matter i could not say she was wrong i had sometimes even ventured to recite to her though anonymously some of my own poems but these fared no better than the rest of the set and thus in a short time the beautiful variegated meadows at the foot of the german parnassus where i was fond of luxuriating were mercilessly mowed down and i was even compelled to toss about the drying hay myself and to ridicule that as lifeless which a short time before had given me such lively joy without knowing it professor morris came to strengthen her instructions he was an uncommonly gentle and friendly man with whom i became acquainted at the table of hochart ludwig and who received me very pleasantly when i begged the privilege of visiting him now while making inquiries of him concerning antiquity i did not conceal from him what delighted me among the moderns when he spoke about such things with more calmness but what was still worse with more profundity than madame Burma. and he thus opened my eyes at first to my greatest chagrin but afterwards to my surprise and at last to my edification besides this there came the jeremiads with which gellert in his course was wont to warn us against poetry he wished only for prose essays and always criticised these first verses he treated as a sorry addition and what was the worst of all even my prose found little favour in his eyes for after my old fashion i used always to lay as the foundation a little romance which i loved to work out in the epistolary form the subjects were impassioned the style went beyond ordinary prose and the contents probably did not display any very deep knowledge of mankind in the author and so i stood in very little favour with our professor although he carefully looked over my labours as well as those of the others corrected them with red ink and here and there added a moral remark many leaves of this kind which i kept for a long time with satisfaction have unfortunately in the course of years at last disappeared from among my papers if elderly persons wish to play the pedagogue properly they should neither prohibit nor render disagreeable to a young man anything which gives him pleasure or of whatever kind it may be unless at the same time they have something else to put in its place or can contrive a substitute everybody protested against my tastes and inclinations and on the other hand what they commended to me lay either so far from me that i could not perceive its excellencies or stood so near me that i thought it not a whit better than what they invade against i thus became thoroughly perplexed on the subject and promised myself the best results from a lecture of ernestes on cicero de oratore i learned something indeed from this lecture but was not enlightened on the subject which particularly concerned me what i demanded was a standard of opinion and thought i perceived that nobody possessed it for no one agreed with another even when they brought forward examples and where were we to get a settled judgment when they managed to reckon up against a man like wieland so many faults in his amiable writings which so completely captivated us younger folks amid this manifold distraction this 
dismemberment of my existence and my studies, it happened that I took my dinners at Hofrat Ludwig's. He was a medical man, a botanist, and his company, with the exception of Morris, consisted of physicians just commencing or near the completion of their studies. Now, during these hours, I heard of no other conversation than about medicine or natural history, and my imagination was drawn over into quite a new field. I heard the names of Haller, Linnaeus, Buffon mentioned with great respect, and even if disputes often arose about mistakes into which it was said they had fallen, all agreed in the end to honour the acknowledged abundance of their merits. The subjects were entertaining and important, and enchained my attention. By degrees I became familiar with many names and a copious terminology, which I grasped more willingly, as I was afraid to write down a rhyme, however spontaneously it presented itself, or to read a poem, for I was fearful that it might please me at the time, and that perhaps immediately afterwards, like so much else, I should be forced to pronounce it bad. This uncertainty of taste and judgment disquieted me more and more every day, so that at last I fell into despair. I had brought with me those of my youthful labours which I thought the best, partly because I hoped to get some credit by them, partly that I might be able to test my progress with greater certainty but I found myself in the miserable situation in which one is placed when a complete change of mind is required, a renunciation of all that one has hitherto loved and found good. However, after some time and many struggles, I conceived so great a contempt for my labours, begun and ended, that one day I burnt up poetry and prose plans, sketches, and projects, all together on the kitchen hearth, and threw our good old landlady into no small fright and anxiety by the smoke which filled the whole house. End of section 21